Good morning, and I'm glad you're here. Really didn't quite know what to expect. I think it's most appropriate that this morning as we begin the message that we take a few moments and just pray together. So would you join me? Actually, I'm going to read as we begin our prayer. I'm going to read from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains fall in the heart, into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. Father, we come before You this morning as the great Creator and Sustainer of life, the Sovereign God, knowing that all things are in Your hand. Therefore, we do not fear, even though the world around us seems to be falling down, we can rest in Your care. We rejoice in anything that causes our leaders to recognize our need and our dependence upon You. Anything which causes them to call our nation to prayer, we see them in this, even in this one thing, there is good even in this crisis. So Father, we come to pray and to join with hopefully a nation that is going to their knees. We ask that in Your grace You would halt the advance of this disease even as we have seen You do that both in history and on the pages of Scripture in response to the prayers of Your people. We ask, Father, for wisdom for our leaders to respond rightly and to govern righteously in this epidemic. We pray for Your mercy and for grace and for healing for those who are infected. We pray, Father, for Your protection of those who are treating the sick. We pray for the protection for the elderly and the vulnerable among us. We pray for our partners in the Gospel serving around the world, our missionary partners. We ask that their work would not be thwarted because of illness or difficulties or even discouragement as many of them have communicated it with us already, how uh, just this global crisis is affecting them. We pray, Father, that we will be alert for opportunities to bring glory to Jesus through this time, through our serving others, through our loving others, and through sharing the good news of Jesus with people who are afraid Father, we ask that this will all serve to remind us that our home is in heaven, not on earth. That our hope is in heaven, as we were reminded a few weeks ago, in your kingdom that is coming. And so may we live in this time both with boldness and with calm, as people who are only passing through this life totally secure in your hands until our work on earth here is done and you take us safely home. 
These things we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. As we begin our study this morning, let's say together, since we're studying the Lord's Prayer, uh, let's again say it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Last week we were at the fourth request, which is give us this day our daily bread. The first of the requests that has to do with us. Give us this day our daily bread, or as one Little boy was heard reciting it. He said, give us this day our day in bed. I think he heard that from his mother. Today we come to the fifth request found in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12. And I hope you have your Bibles open to Matthew 6. There in verse 12 it's, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Or some of you may have learned it. Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This morning, simply want to call our attention to three important truths that are found in this short little prayer request. The first of these truths is this. We need forgiveness from God. The request to our Father, to God, is forgive us our debts. Jesus teaches us, He calls us here to ask for forgiveness, and I would say daily. Notice, don't miss that first, the first little word of this request, which is and. It's not just give us this day our daily bread, period. Forgive us our debts. It's There's an and that connects them. And I think there's two things to notice there. The first is that this is a daily thing as asking for bread daily is to be one of our prayer requests. So is asking for forgiveness. It is a daily prayer. But it's also to, I think, to let us see the significance, the importance, the necessity of this prayer. As critical as food is to our physical health and our physical life, so is forgiveness and asking for forgiveness to our spiritual health and our spiritual life. See, In Romans chapter 3 through 5, we were there last spring. We see there that we are saved, we are declared righteous, justified from sin by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Not by any works at all that we do. And so Paul goes to say in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, therefore being justified, or since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says we've been justified in the past tense through faith in Jesus Christ. It is done. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are declared righteous, that's what justified means, in the sight of God. You are saved. Our future in heaven is secure. That is by faith in Christ. And while that is true and in the past, at the same time, Paul goes on to say in chapters 6 and 7 that in this life we still battle against a tendency which resides within us to sin. We are a people who still sin even as believers in Jesus Christ. We are sinners. The Apostle John in his little letter, first little letter, 1 John, he says in verse 8, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If as believers in Jesus Christ we say, I no longer sin, and there are Christians who say that, they are mistaken. They, As John says, they deceive themselves. The truth isn't in you because we still sin, even as Christians. And so he goes on in the very next verse, in verse 9, to say, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us or cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so Jesus calls us as believers to pray for forgiveness. And there is forgiveness. 1 John 9, 1, 9 says there's forgiveness and grace through Christ when we ask. So, This first truth is we need forgiveness and that we are to ask for forgiveness is certainly plain in this verse. But there is one pressing concern here that most everyone in this room wants to know. And that is, is it debts or trespasses? When we pray, are we supposed to ask for forgiveness from our debts or our trespasses? Which one is it? Got to know. Most of you have been there like me, you, you, you're with other believers that you're not usually with, and they start praying the Lord's Prayer. And all goes fine. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We use King James. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And, and it's all going good until you start getting down and then you realize, oh no, it's coming up. Are they going to say debts? Or are they going to say trespasses? The tension mounts. Maybe not with you. But it does with me. Which is it? Why is there confusion on this? And the answer simply goes back to the text, actually. And uh, if you, there are actually three different Greek words that are used, excuse me, uh, well, several, I think it's five different Greek words that are used to describe sin in the New Testament. In and related to the Lord's Prayer, there are three different Greek words that are used for sin. And they are all either in the prayer or, as I say, related to it. The first is in the text that we're looking at here today, this morning, Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. And the word there in the Greek literally translates into the English as debts, something that we owe. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And that's why the best translations, most of the better translations at least, 
in English, use those two words here in Matthew 6.12, debt and debtor. However, if we just go down a couple of verses, down to verse 14 and 15 here in this text, what we discover is that it uses a different word. It says, verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, and then he goes on three times in those two verses to use the words trespasses. And Jesus has picked up this subject again of forgiveness from sin and forgiving others. And it's the verses right after the Lord's Prayer. And so it's connected to the Lord's Prayer. And that word trespass literally means to fall, to stumble, to, to have a little, you know, trip, to side sidestep accidentally or on purpose. It can mean to deliberately step off the path path and go off, you know, into the grass where it says no trespassing. No no going on the grass. And we do that. And so this word trespass is often translated in English trespass or transgression. Transgression is to step over the line, to break the rule, to go where you're not supposed to go. So that's another word for sin that's used right here next to the Lord's Prayer. If we go over to the book of Luke, to the other instance where the Lord taught this prayer, as Luke records it, I think a different instance, and Luke in Luke 11 says, And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. That word indebted is the same Greek word we saw back in Matthew's account, Matthew 6. But that word sin there that he uses is a different word, than those other two. It's different from debts and trespasses. And in English, this is the word that's almost always translated sin. It's actually an archery term, which means to miss the mark, to miss the target, or to fall short, as Paul defines it, actually, in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so those three words are all used in relation to or in the Lord's Prayer. And they all have some different connotations to them. But they all mean sin, or they're describing sin, and so does it matter which one you use? The answer is no. However, it's a big debate among Christians. So the story is told of a couple of small congregations that were struggling in a little small town. They were barely keeping their doors open and they decided, you know what, we ought to get together and uh, just make one church and then uh, we can survive better. And it, everything went smoothly until they got down to the Lord's Prayer. And one, of, one group insisted on the word on debts and the other group insisted on trespasses. And so the whole merging of the congregations blew up and one church went back to their debts and the other church went back to their trespasses. <laughs> So it is. Personally, I'm more partial to the using in in the prayer of the word debt. Because it's a broader word, sin, I believe, is a debt that we owe. And that is actually probably the, the more common Jewish mindset in the first century, the scholars tell us, is that they viewed debt, sin as a debt that we owe God. And it's bigger than just transgressions or, or trespasses. It's bigger than just the, the things that we, where we choose to do the wrong thing or we do something that is wrong. Debts implies more than that because debts implies everything that we owe God 
but fail to give him is a debt. As James puts it this way, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do, but does not do it, sins. Sin includes both the sins of commission and the sins of omission. And this word debt captures both of those. That's why I like it. I just think we often take too small of a view of sin because we're focused on counting our trespasses, our transgressions, the things that we do wrong, and we totally forget the things that we just fail to do that we ought to do. The praises that we fail to give God, as we read in the psalm earlier in our worship, to give Him the praises that are due His name. How often we fall short in giving God the praise that He is due. The thanksgivings that we forget to express to thank God for the many blessings He has given us. The Scriptures calls us to give thanks and to not miss one. But who of us is not guilty of missing one or one hundred thousand? Gifts never given. Good deeds left undone. Gospel opportunities that we have not taken advantage of. Resources we have been blessed with but we have squandered on ourselves rather than investing in the kingdom. Prayers that we should have prayed, maybe even we promised we would pray to others and never prayed. Sins of omission. Things we did not do. Bottom line, we are sinners and we need to ask God for forgiveness. There's a second big truth in this prayer. I see it in the second half of the prayer and it's forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The second big truth I see here is that others need our forgiveness. Other people sin against us. They hurt us. They offend us. But we are to forgive them. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Colossians chapter 3 says a similar thing. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are called to be those who forgive others, but Forgiveness is not easy. I know some of us here this morning probably struggle with this, especially if you have suffered particularly personal or violent or deep or grievous harm at the hands of someone else. But I notice that not only do others need our forgiveness, I notice it says that we are to forgive our debtors, not just those who trespass against us, but those who are our debtors. We are to forgive trespasses and debts. And I, I think it's that often we, the, the wounds of debts perhaps provide more difficulty for us than the wounds of transgression. In other words... People do bad things to us and we have difficulty forgiving that at times, but I think we have a greater problem perhaps with those debts that people owe. The things that we feel that we are entitled to, that people owe us but they fail to give to us. And it happens 
probably more frequently, which is why it is a bigger deal. Those, you know, we get offended because we don't get the recognition we feel we deserve, that someone owes us. Or we don't get the raise we think we deserve. Or we become resentful because our husband doesn't, you know, he's not industrious enough, or he's not whatever enough, or we become resentful to our wife because she is not, you know, passionate enough, or this enough, or we come upset with the pastor because he's not, you know, attentive enough, or we become, you know, we have expectations and people don't meet them. We get upset at the restaurant because the waiter or waitress isn't attentive enough. The service isn't good enough. We get angry because we're in a hurry and the car in front of us won't get out of our way. Yeah, got your attention on that one, yeah. We usually don't think about unforgiveness as a big deal in our life. It's just a little thing, yeah. But there's one more big truth in this prayer, and it really probably isn't obvious to most, most of us in just a casual reading or reciting of the prayer. See, we're often so focused on whether it's debts or trespasses when we pray the prayer that we easily miss a most significant little word. Forgive us our debts. There's that little word, as. We forgive our debtors. It's a significant word because what it does, everything in that verse, in that whole prayer, hangs on that word. It's the pivot point. And and what it does is it links the second half with the first half. And there's where the problem comes. Because it links God's forgiveness of us to our forgiveness of others. This prayer is saying, God, deal with me in the same way I deal with others. And if you think about that, that could be a frightening prayer. Let's be honest, if God really answers this request as we pray it, Would that be a problem for you when you look in the mirror? If He really forgives you the way that you have forgiven everyone else? That caused Augustine, the uh, early church father, to say this is a terrible request. Meaning that it strikes terror into your heart. That's what he meant by that. He said, because if you pray, Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors while refusing to forgive those who have wronged you, this prayer which is meant to be a blessing becomes a curse. A self-inflicted curse. This is a serious thing. Does Jesus really miss this? Does He really mean it? (laughs) Well, just to be sure we don't miss it, I pointed it out a second ago, but right after he finishes this prayer in verse 14, Jesus picks up this very same thought, the only thought from the prayer that he reiterates and restates to call our attention to it, I think just in case you thought I I stuttered or something. 
And he says, verse 14, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Again, scary words. This really is a serious matter as we look at this prayer request. Well, maybe that whole section is just wrong. <laughs> you know, we're looking for the loopholes. I spent all week reading this through time and time again, looking for the loopholes, and I couldn't find any. If you find some, let me know. Not there. Just in case you think maybe he stuttered there in both of those case, both of those things here in Matthew six, you just turn over a few chapters to Matthew eighteen. There we find Jesus teaches the same thing in a different way. He, there, Jesus in Matthew 18, He's teaching a parable, a story, which has a point. And He tells the parable of a servant. A guy who, it's down in verse 23, and there's this king who wishes to settle accounts and he calls in his bookkeepers and the bookkeepers come in and discovers that there's, there's a servant who owes a large sum of money. Actually, it's, it's a large sum of money puts it mildly. It says here, it's 10,000 talents. And I know you all went, oh, wow, that's a lot. We have no clue. What's 10,000 talents? Well, first of all, a talent is a unit of measure used to measure precious metals. Ah, think gold or silver. Let's just take silver because it's the cheaper one, Okay. 10,000 talents. Well, that's a lot. What's a talent? Well, it's a measure, but how much is it? Well, we don't know exactly, but the, the uh, scholars tell us it's around 75 pounds. One talent, 75 pounds. This is 10,000 of those. So I did the math last night using yesterday's silver price, which ironically is way down. Toilet paper up. Silver way down. Okay, I think an ounce of silver right now buys a package of toilet paper, but that's beside the point. I did the math on yesterday's price, $15 an ounce. It comes out to $180 million. That's a lot. How does a servant owe that kind of money? means probably he stole it. He can't pay it. And the king says, throw him in prison until he pays it up. The guy begs... For his, for his life and his family, because the guy's going to throw, his, throw him and his family in jail. He says, no, 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 please, please, please. And the king says, okay. And he forgives the whole thing, wipes it out. $180 million. How do you even spend $180 million without being... That's point is, see, this is huge. Then you know the story. He goes out. He goes out, he gets out on the street, he's just barely, barely out the doors of the gate from the palace. He's out on the street, runs into his buddy Bob, and Bob, you owe me money. A hundred denarii. And again you go, oh, hundred denarii. What's a hundred denarii? A denarii, one denarii is the daily wage for the average laborer. So think minimum wage times a hundred days. In our way of thinking, probably around 5,000 bucks. It's not 
you know, dollar menu uh, change, but it's nothing compared to 180 million. And what does he do? He grabs him by the throat, says, "Pay up, or I'm going to throw you in prison." And he has him thrown in prison. Then Jesus says, "Here comes the Matthew 18, verse 32. You wicked servant," the king says. I cancel all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Next verse, Jesus gives the punchline. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Same thing he said back over in Matthew chapter 6 except even more scary. Okay. Big question. For all of us that are here as believers, this question comes up as we read this. Whoa, wait a minute. Is what this saying is that somehow my salvation is dependent upon my forgiving that I either earn or I lose my salvation based on how I forgive other people? Because that seems to be what this is saying. And is that what this means? To answer the first the question, let's just go back to the prayer. What's the first two words of the prayer? The Lord's Prayer. Okay, let's say it together. Our Father. So, the prayer is addressed to God, our Father. Jesus is teaching us how to pray. Who is He talking to? People who can call God. So that would be God's... Ah, you guys are smart. In other words, He's talking to believers. As we talked about a few weeks ago when we looked at that phrase, Our Father, the Bible could not be clearer. Everyone is not God's child. Who is God's child? John 1 makes it very clear. Those who are God's child become God's children by birth. And not by birth in terms of human birth, by birth by flesh and blood. It is, John 1 says this, who becomes God's child? It's all who did receive Him, that Him is Jesus, who believed in His name. He, that's God, gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of men, but of God. The children of God are people who are born spiritually. They're born spiritually by believing, by trusting, by receiving Jesus Christ as their Savior. So I, Jesus, two chapters over from that, John chapter 3 tells Nicodemus, who asks, how can I get to heaven? And Jesus says, you must be born again. Okay? So our, our entrance to heaven, our salvation, our forgiveness from sin is by trusting in Jesus Christ alone, as I said earlier, we see as well in, in Romans chapters 3 through 5. So what this is not saying is that somehow we earn heaven by forgiving other people or that we can lose heaven by forg- not forgiving other people. We can't lose our salvation nor earn it by what we do. That is by received by faith as a gift from God, as Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says. 
But who is this prayer? Who is he teaching? God's children. So what's the point? As God's children, this is talking about not how we get into the family, but it's talking about fellowship in the family with our Father. It works the same way it works in our human families. Our children often sin against us, don't they? In their words, in their actions, they, they do things where they sin against us. And when they do, what happens? The, the relationship can be broken. The fellowship, the warm fuzzies are broken down. The communication is suffering. And often they suffer as well under the discipline and the punishment and the consequences of their behavior, do they not? That is exactly what Jesus is talking about here. When the child of God, who has received the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ, refuses to forgive others, they are sinning against God because He's told us to forgive others. And fellowship with God is broken. And we start living with the consequences of unforgiveness and bitterness in our life. And we begin to place ourselves under the discipline of God because God says, like any good father, when there's a disobedient child who is running off in disobedience, God brings discipline into our life. That's what Jesus is talking about here. That is not a good place to be. Matter of fact, it's a tragic place to be. To be born into the family of God and then to live out of fellowship with Him. So this is not about losing salvation. The point is simply that once we have come to know God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ, then being unforgiving towards others is incomprehensible. It is completely incompatible to be unforgiving and bitter when we have been the recipients of such great grace. Instead, it should naturally and logically follow that having received such grace from God, having all of our sin forgiven, wiped the slate, wiped clean, that we would not then give that kind of grace to others. Let me finish with two verses we read just a moment ago. I read Ephesians chapter 4, but I didn't finish the verse. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Our forgiveness in Christ logically should flow out to our forgiveness for to others. Same thing in Colossians chapter 3. Bear with each other and forgive what, whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Over the years, as we've talked about forgiveness, I've had people ask this question of me. How do I know if I've forgiven someone? Once we realize it really is a big deal to forgive others, <laughs> that the, the daily forgiveness, not the, not the forgiveness in terms of salvation, but the relational forgiveness that we need to keep our, the, the communication and the fellowship open with Christ, that daily forgiveness we need, it depends on our forgiveness of others. It's a big deal. How do I know if I've forgiven this person? I think it's a great question. 
I can't really give a better answer than one that was given some 300 years ago by Thomas Watson, the great Puritan preacher and author. He said this, when we strive against all thoughts of revenge, he's saying that's forgiveness, <laughs> when we will not do our enemies mischief, but wish them well, or wish well to them, when we grieve at their calamities, pray for them, seek reconciliation with them, and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them. He says that's what forgiveness looks like. To say I forgive someone, but I wish ill for them is not forgiveness. To say I forgive someone, but I rejoice when calamity befalls them, that is not forgiveness. Jesus said, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Bless those who persecute you, he says earlier in this Sermon on the Mount. Bless those who persecute you. Which raises the question, how do I do that? Quite frankly, this whole forgiveness thing towards such people who have hurt us deeply some of you may be thinking, I don't think I can ever forgive fill in the blank with a name or a dozen. I find it intriguing that Jesus doesn't ask us to do, He never asks us to do anything that He Himself does not do or is not willing to do. From the cross, hanging there, Jesus cried, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Even as we looked at that last year, you may recall, it was the, the tense there is that he kept on praying. He was praying at all the time he was on the cross. He was praying that for those who, the executors who nailed him to the cross. He was praying that for the crowd who was mocking him and scorning him. He was praying that for the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders who had convicted him and put him there. He was praying that for you and I who sin put him on that cross. How do we grow and develop this kind of heart that can forgive? All I can say is look to Jesus' example. Study His Word. And I recommend that we pray faithfully even as Jesus teaches us right here in this prayer. I can't come up with a better outline that will address the issues that we struggle with than this very prayer as I thought it through this week. First of all, we begin with our Father. We come and we talk to our Father, and to our Father we lay out our soul. And let's be honest with our dad, right? Father, I struggle with this. I need help. I don't know that I can do this. We can talk to our Father that way. Secondly, we pray, hallowed be your name. May your name be Honored may your name be holy. And we begin to think about the holiness of God. How holy and pure God is. He is totally without sin. And we can't do that without recognizing our own sinfulness. And how sinful and unworthy we are to come before the holy God. And then we pray, your kingdom come. And we remember that our focus and our desire is to be His kingdom, not my kingdom. Our focus is to be His kingdom, not making this world to shape and to fit my plans, my desires. These things begin to chip down all those things that we hold up as excuses to not forgive. 
We pray Your will be done. We pray for God's desire to take precedence over our will, over our desires. And again, my excuses get chipped away. And we pray, give us today our daily bread. And then we give thanks to God because He's provided the bread we need for today and so incredibly much more. And we begin to start recounting all of the blessings we have because, remember, we're supposed to give thanks to God and forget none of His benefits. And we realize we have this list of thousands and millions of blessings that we have in our life. And how many of them do we deserve? None of them. And then as we realize, so I'm not deserving, neither is this person over here that I don't forgive. But I realize it also calls for me to pray for, as we noted last week, not my daily bread, but our daily bread. I'm supposed to pray not only for your need, but my need, but I'm supposed to pray for your need. And I should also pray for their need. Because Jesus said, if my enemy is hungry, feed him. So Lord, meet their needs. And then we come here, forgive us our debts. And I start to list and confess and recount all of my sin, including my unforgiving heart, as I ask for forgiveness. I think how many ways I have offended God and how gracious He has been in forgiving me. And it starts again tearing down those last bricks of how then can I not forgive my brother. And so Jesus says, pray this, go back daily. And so for just as a motivating factor to keep us going through these steps again and again, we pray this prayer as Jesus told us to pray it. Pray that God will give us, we pray that He will give us the grace and forgiveness to treat others the way that we want Him to treat us because we pray, Father, forgive my debts as I forgive those who are my debtors. And that's the motivation to go back and pray this again tomorrow and the next day and the next. Father, how we need this. The reality is every one of us in this room struggles from time to time with an unforgiving heart. Maybe we struggle with it all the time. Thank You for Your unbelievable mercy and joy that You and grace that You have poured out upon us even while we were sinners and rebels. You rescued us and saved us. So we, may we not withhold that same grace from others. Father, this morning for those who wrestle with a pattern of bitterness or perhaps with a particular person that they have been unwilling or unable to forgive, I ask that Your grace would reach down to them this morning and that You would set them free from the bonds of an unforgiving spirit. Father, we ask that You would help us to be a people of grace. That Your love would be so evident in us. Your mercy would so flow out from us that it would abound in our church, abound in our families, it would abound in our dealings with our neighbors, our co-workers, our fellow students, even the people who patience is running thin in these days of high tensions and fear. Lord, may we be a people of grace. These things we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.